0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Arete. I am happy to have Jason back. He was on a vacation, went out to uh, the tiny little what used to be called British Honduras, but is now called <laughs> Belize right um, i've real. never been there, but I spent a good bit of time in in Honduras, and my brother has vacationed in Belize, and he loved it. So
1: how was your trip? It was great. Um... This is part of our compromise for having moved Paxton farther away from the ocean. He's like a marine biologist in training or something. The kid loves everything about marine life, and we love everything about the mountains and the rivers. So we try to get him once a year out, out to some kind of beach, ocean. So this was his first major snorkeling trip. We had a lot of fun with it. We did the Mayan ruins in Belize, and I got to... And we got to kind of walk him through like an anthropological and archaeological landscape and talk about the just fascinating intricacies of, of like human existence before Western civilization. <laughs> could muck it all up. Yeah, um, another,
0: another POV, another point of view.
1: Right, right, exactly. Yeah, and then we spent three days on Ambergris Key, which is a small island off the coast of Belize City where you, you get just like – maybe a few minutes boat ride from the Great Barrier Reef there. And it's just, it's great snorkeling and it was good. Cool.
0: Well, this week we're going to, as we announced, I think in our last episode, we both read the book tribe by Sebastian younger, which you have read before and it was pretty impactful on you. And I had never read, even though I, I had it in my library. I just hadn't actually picked it up and read it. And then I noticed that, uh, Uh, And I was, I've been in the middle of about two other, uh, a couple of other books. And so I was like, I don't know how I'm going to pull this off. Let's keep reading these other books and then read this one. So I basically downloaded it on audible and for, it was like three, three and a half hours and I hike a lot. So, and run. And so it was like, Oh, well I'll just do that. So I got to listen to it. So mostly I did some reading of it, um, but uh, mostly, I listened to it and I have to say, um, I had heard from many people it was a very good book and eye-opening, but I have to say it was excellent. And he's a very good writer, very engaging, pulls you in. Um, you can tell he was a former war correspondent because he was a war correspondent. And he starts off that way. But he's also led a really interesting life. And he doesn't go into any depth on that life, but he definitely pulls in um, particular personal experiences that are really impactful and, and that – really are relevant to this topic and the basic gist of what we're going to be doing with this is it's not really a book review as much as it is we have a goal of having an extended conversation on the idea of what it means to be a warrior or what a warrior ethos is and we were looking for avenues in a couple of uh, maybe a month or two ago and you suggested this book as a potential avenue in and so we just decided to read it and see if it would walk us that direction. And I think we've got some pretty significant content to kind of go that direction. Although this topic might, uh, this conversation today, Jason might not necessarily go deeply into the warrior concept. It's more as a way for us to walk our way there. So what were your reasons for thinking this book would be a great way for us to walk into this? Cause I just took you at your, at your word. And then I was like, Oh, yes, this is a goldmine for potential pathways to discussing what it means to be a warrior. Um, And not just from a war perspective, but much bigger perspective than I expected. So is that where you were coming from?
1: Yeah. um, I I like it because of the emphasis on, on community, meaning purpose, human connection, the importance of of hardship and suffering for, for promoting positive human psychology. And I think that, you know, because what we're doing here is, is challenging conventional norms and conventional wisdom. This is one that really takes a hard look at modern society and says, this is kind of fucked up. We live in a major mismatch between our evolutionary human experience and our social evolutionary experience and what modern society is today and because what we have been into with running for you much longer than me is community building community around running and this book really looks at the importance of community and i think that you know so the subtitle of the book is on homecoming and belonging and, and kind of, I think the major theme that younger is teasing out here is that a combat veteran or, um, somebody in, involved in a, a survivor of a natural disaster or a civilian who lives through combat in their home place, um, is suddenly thrust as Younger says, into a place that's 10,000 years into our human evolutionary past where they have deep community and connection and they are all living communally through hardship and suffering. Um, And then you come out of that back into this highly individualistic, hyper-competitive society that is really devoid of deep community and meaning and purpose. And oftentimes people are just left thinking, fuck, I want to go back <laughs> to to what was really terrible in a lot of ways, but was also so much more powerful and meaningful. And and so I think that just being able to to, to look in that way so succinctly at the meaning and the value of community and of hardship and suffering and, and having deep purpose and meaning and something that you pursue in life with community built around it is really nice Um, and it kind of gives us a shortcut in some ways for looking at how um, on the one hand community and running is really important but then how you can also get a lot of these other elements so you could think of your running group as your combat unit and you can think of you know, all the training that you do for a race with all of these people is similar to all the preparedness that a combat unit goes through in the run up to a combat deployment. And then that race is is your opportunity. That's your engagement at combat to go out and test your mettle. Um, it's sort of like he talks about the Native Americans who, who would sign up for Vietnam because they were like, well, shit, I'm, I'm a warrior and I want to go out and test my my warrior ethos in a combat situation. I don't actually care about the country or the Vietnam War, but I want to be part of this spiritual journey that has been a current and a theme of my, my tribe, my, you know, my native tribe for all of these years. Um, And so I think those are kind of the, the themes that for us are relevant and there's a lot more to this book and we won't really, Talk about what it's like to be a combat veteran and to come back and re-enter society, but we'll talk more about those themes that are that are relevant around community, purpose, meaning, um, hardship and suffering, failure yeah. and victory.
0: Yeah, and I think it's really good for us to do this because the first, I mean, I mean, nearly every episode that we've done already has kind of been really focused on the individual, an individual kind of. What you're, you know, why are you doing this, or uh, what's your, what's your identity, or, you know, and and because we do think that there are unbelievable opportunities with running to delve deep into what meaning is and who we are, but we had yet to really double down on the community aspect, and this book gives us that bridge, and I do think it would be really interesting for people to read this. It's a short read, um, highly entertaining. But it will give you if you're if you're a solo practitioner of your running process. Um, I think there's there's definitely things you can take out of this book that can be really really helpful. But if you're in a running group or related to have a group of other people who you train with on a consistent basis, I think Jason and I are going to give you some some suggestions for how to next level that experience to try to maximize that in a way that you might not recognize as um, that that younger gives us the tools to do that with and i think it and if not necessarily really super practical tools more along the lines of major mental models or frameworks or maps if you will for how to yeah. navigate the territory of what how navigate the territory of these things that number one okay if you're training in a group environment you are already experiencing this number two if you don't and or if you and and as a subset of point one is if you don't have a training community that you're training with, point B is important. Point two is important is that you will be racing on a day with other people, whether you're running almost every event that we do, especially if you're going to pin a number to your chest or you're going to go across the starting line. That means you're going to come across a finish line and you're going to be doing it likely for the event to happen with a bunch of other people. Um, And so those can also be your tribe. That can also be an aspect of the tribal element or, or a community element. So I think these as we talk about this, we we want to bring it back to these – we want to keep in mind, Jason, these two possibly divergent listener groups, right? Well, mostly yeah. I'll probably be talking primarily to that group of people who – because my work – my running and work-related experiences around groups and working with groups both online and um, in person – you. And your primary focus on running right now is kind of the solo practitioner mode, right? Maybe you run with your wife, maybe, but mostly you're getting out on the roads and getting in that work on your own. So we're kind of, I think it's going to be good for us to kind of bring in both of these two pathways, but I just want to highlight that to say, hey, let's keep circling around how there might be two basic approaches to community that can be helpful that if, if it's somebody says, well, I don't have that sh- same shared suffering with a person in a training scenario, um, well, through Strava, you might be able to, through social media, you might be able to, and definitely on race day, you might be able to, too. So, um, But let's let's get into the kind of meat and potatoes of the book um, and especially talk a little bit about, about, why don't you give us kind of a lay of the land on how he's talking about kind of how fucked up our idea of what community is and and how that you know he he outlines that he he unpacks this through a couple of different scenarios and situations but let can you give us a gist of what this what's what's the core problem here you know there's a great there's somebody i love uh, uh uh he's a he's a cognitive psychologist out of university of Toronto. His name's John Verveke. He has a whole series called um, the meaning crisis. He's been pushing this idea of the meaning crisis. He's, you know, as a cognitive science, he's also teaches in the philosophy department. So he's got psychology and philosophy. And he has like a 50 episode, YouTube episode thing on how we found ourselves in this position of a meaning crisis. And he's underpinning it from physio, from psychology and physiology. I mean, psychology, physiology, and um, philosophy. But, I think Younger's book almost does a better job and a much, certainly a much, well, not better, but a much more succinct way. And really, because he's such a good writer about these core elements, to to kind of grab you by the, by he's kind of like taking his hands and putting them on your face and just holding you tight while he's quietly telling you in a very strong voice, this world is fucked. Do you see how fucked it is? And the reason you're fucked up is because this world is fucked but there's a way out. So can you kind of give us get, lay out for us what his basic thesis is of how this world is fucked from this concept of lack of community?
1: Yeah. So the the book is more or less broken into two halves and in the beginning he he sets it up by laying out the difference between What might be, uh, you might call like ancestral tribal models, and then the uh, sort of highly individualistic Western social model. And, um, you know, the the Western social model is hierarchical. Um, It's driven by extrinsic values like money, materialism, what people look like on the outside. Uh, this this might be, I've talked about in the past, the difference between asking kids in grade school what they want to be when they grow up versus what kind of person they want to be mm. when they grow up. And um, and so he, he does this by, um, he, he mostly looks at this phenomenon, which is so fascinating that as white Europeans came to what we now know as north america they uh a lot of white people defected from colonial life and went and lived with the indian or the native american tribes and especially the women it was so fascinating we're like oh i can live in an egalitarian society where i do like enough work to make my fair share and i can decide who i marry and i can decide when i get divorced and i can get married again and i can share the labor of of eating and rearing children and doing chores around the village, and uh, that is a stark contrast from what it was like to be in in colonial life, and and so um, he he kind of starts there to lay out this this divide or this conflict between um, people's desire to to break out of the Western social model 300, 400, 500 years ago, right? We were already struggling with this, with what you might call that European social model versus traditional tribal models that all humans grew up in. And at the heart of that is community and the communal model and how we interact, how we are connected to one another, um, and how we constructed social norms. Um, and so that creates this really clear divide. And then the second half of the book is is really looks at um, how things that happen to us today in modern society can give us a glimpse into what that past was like and how sweet it is for those people that get that glimpse and how, Bitter it is when they lose that, and so he looks at um ba- basically war and natural disaster. And there are two lenses on war. There's one where you're you're the citizen, the everyday citizen, living, say, in London during the Blitz, or in Germany, like in Dresden during the bombing campaigns that the Allies put on the Germans, and. Um, Everybody kind of living together in that disaster and having to come together and being stripped um, both through war or natural disaster of like all hierarchy and structure and nonsense materialism, everything that that marks modern society and living in this raw real experience where everyone has to work together to survive day to day. And it doesn't matter if you were the CEO of a company or a janitor, you're all pooling your resources and your labor and nobody outranks anybody else in the game of survival. Um, And then there are the, you know, the, the combat soldiers who go off and they fight in war. And they're in these small cohesive units and race, ethnicity, rank, all of that is kind of stripped away and everybody is working together to survive and complete a mission. And you have this deep sense of meaning and purpose in what you're doing in a mission, um, but also the deep sense of meaning and purpose that comes from being in this small community or this tribe that is your combat unit, all, all together, working together, sleeping together, eating together, suffering together, succeeding together dying together and working through all of that and what he really wants to look at is what it's like and it's where the end of the book is for that combat veteran then to come back to modern society and it's like they've awoken to to all of the extravagances and problems that we face in modern society where it's individualistic you have poverty income disparity um disease you have broken medical system the political divide between liberal and conservative in america it's democrat and republican and there is no sense of unity and community in politics and we're all working toward one goal as a society it's us versus them you're inside or you're out and it's This is modern society created the conditions for things like slavery and racism and um, class division and income disparity, all of these things that that really are a drag on society and the human condition. And then he also looks at from an anthropological and a psychological perspective perspective. how those conditions lead to so much human suffering, and how so much of that goes away in in situations where it's stripped of all of those problems, those constructs of modern society, and and I, I thought that was just you know really fascinating that like you you can actually see a decline uh, or an improvement in psychological health, if you will, or a decline in psychological illness when you're thrust back into these deeply communal and tribal experiences. Um, and so, you know, that was all, I, I think it just speaks to the power of having community and meaning and purpose. And one of, and this is also why I like this book so much because it helped really shed a light on and, and frame up What it was that that has created so much suffering for me since I was since I came home from from the military and from war, and it was hard to really understand. But I can reflect on how much anger I had toward people in society and how I thought. You know, I remember having conflicts with my parents, or I'm like you. You, you drive these giant SUVs and trucks and you live 40 miles outside of town for no damn reason. And you just don't, don't realize the everyday decisions that you make and the ramifications and implications they have for society, locally, nationally, internationally. And that's a huge problem. And it took me a long time and I, you know, I don't think I've even now come to accept any of it. I just live with it as this sort of disturbing background noise. It's maybe like what it's like for people that live around wind turbines or something to just <laughs> live, live next to this, like chronic ailing noise or something. This is background noise. That's not necessarily good for you. And, and so, um, so that's like, that's the book, you know, and, and I think if we 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 kind of like trim that down and we focus it on to running, you can start to see where um, you have an opportunity to do something that's really difficult and challenging in running. If you set, you know goals for yourself that push you outside of your comfort zone and outside the boundaries of what you think might be humanly possible for you. You can create the conditions for hardship and suffering that can promote positive psychology. Um, And if you do this in a group, then you have the opportunity to create community. And you can get community in your training group, but you can also get community in the people that you don't even know who are also showing up on race day and all working together and you can connect to the energy of all of those people that have come together to do this thing that so many people aren't willing to do right very few people actually serve in the military or suffer a natural disaster or something like that and the same is true with running as many of us as there are we're still a small subset of the national and international population and that's an extension of your community and you get we see marathoners yeah
0: we see marathoners and recognize why are they always so focused on marathoning well because they know the specifics of that particular battlefield because that's a different battlefield than a 5k battlefield um, or and an advanced level runner, advanced level runner, marathoners, bear, battlefield is different from a beginner levels, 5k letter levels runner, but really they're not that different. Um, but you know, that the key thing with this book for me, Jason was that he, he articulates so well, he doesn't actually say it the same way I like to say it, but he basically making the argument that I have been arguing for a very long time, which is there's a myth of separation in our world. That's not, really real and and he highlights that in both parts of this book where he says you know number 1 it's not part of our dna our dna actually has been evolved to touching each other to being with each other to being in close proximity and to be in a mindset of mutual aid like the anarchists say like we're in a space of mutual aid where everyone's everyone's in the same boat right? Um, and then the military folks, when they're in the battle, they're in the same boat. And then when they come out of it and they come back into real society, it's very, very hard. We come back to normal day society. It's very hard for them to do that. But we miss that. We, we talk about symptomology. We have symptoms, systems and situations, but we're not talking about this, you know, me. I love to talk about the biggest picture. And the biggest picture to me is we are not separated. This is a crucial worldview that he is putting out there and saying it's baked into us, in our DNA, and we have the evolutionary proof for it. In fact, there's another book called um, "The Dawn of Everything." I think is what it's called, but it's a recent book by David Graber, which I've been reading. It's very hard, very hard to get through. Very well written, but extremely long. But his his basic view is that yeah, we, we're 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 not we're designed evolutionarily to be in small groups. And so therefore this idea that we're separated is really completely screwing with our minds and screwing with our hearts and souls. And as runners, we, whether you train in a community or you race in a community, it doesn't really matter. You are not separated from those people. And that when we come together to train, when we come together to race, we're part of a bigger picture. And believe me, when I when I talk through people's race plans for them, one of the things I'm always talking about right near the end of the conversation is don't forget to have gratitude. So, what am I doing when I tap at gratitude? I'm saying you're part of a bigger community, be grateful for your coach, be grateful for your training partners, be grateful for the race director, be grateful for the for the for the police officers out on the course, be grateful for um this, the, the water stop volunteers be grateful for the people that are out there clapping their hands. What is that? What am I saying? When I'm saying grateful, you are not alone. You are not separate from the group. You are part of a big picture. You've been part of it in your training and you're part of it in another space. And one of those is what I would say to folks who are in their training groups right now, recognize that double down. Really, really get involved and realize you are not separated from them. Even if you don't do lap, rep by rep or extended windows of time with them, the fact that they're all following a similar plan with a similar objective, which is going to be some kind of command performance or so some kind of battlefield that they're going to get out on, if you recognize your your group part being a part of a group and you're not separate your experience of the training will enhance greatly. Um, and I think that that's one of the things I think I kind of miss miss out on telling people is, Hey, we could be also be grateful in our training, not just on race day. Um, I think that that's that was something to me that that idea the myth this myth of separation even though he didn't articulate it exactly that way it just came through so strong and it said yeah. we need to be standing in this place that says we are not alone we are part of a bigger group and that is good for our basic as you said personal psychology just the general psychological. Balance. That's a worldview question. You know, that's a mapping question. The map is that we're not in separate places. We're all in one big place, and then we can kind of operate from that place. I thought it was really beautiful how he brought that through, and um, you know, it really hit me, especially because he was talking about um, how much we, in in tribal societies and in indigenous societies, they are the and in and in even in the um, ape. In, in the, you know, the large mammal, our, our ancestors, or even our, our beyond primates, our, uh, our primates, yeah, the primates, thank you for that. They they spend 90 times, 90% of their time in childhood is holding or carrying or being directly in touch with, physical touch with their children, their, their infants. And in the 1970s, 1980s, that number was 16%. And so many of us are looking for those hugs. We're still looking for that sense of community that we might have missed. You know, I'm a child of the 70s and the 80s. I grew up, that's when I grew up. And my parents were wonderful parents, but they were probably in that category of maybe 25% touch. And that makes sense why there's struggles that we see with a lot of folks about that. I see it in my family, I see it in the group and the people I coach. And having just brought that out, I'm like, no, what we need to do is recognize we do have a community. We have our families. We do have our social structures. We have all those things in play that we need to definitely be thinking about and working through. But we have another, so it's just the whole thing about running. What makes it so beautiful, Jason, is it's a microcosm. It's a small slice, but very, very almost complete slice of what it is to live your day-to-day life. So double down on on your, you're not separate, double down on your community in whatever way that is, and you'll make a, it'll make a substantial difference in your day-to-day living and the meaning and purpose behind what you're doing. And you'll be aligning with something that's deeper, more substantive, more real, if you will, than the more superficial things that we might be looking at as, as why we do a thing, times or paces or things of that nature. We just say, no, I'm part of something bigger, and you can have a great deep gratitude for that.
1: Yes. Um and that this was such a perfect place to go because I I was um th- what I was thinking about is relatedness, which would just be mm-hmm. the, the opposite right the, the opposite side of the coin of, of this separateness idea. And and what Younger is doing is highlighting these mechanisms for us to glimpse the insights of our relatedness. And when you have a situation mm-hmm. where you're stripped of all the structures in modern society that create that separateness you see that we're we're all just human beings related to one another connected on this rock hurtling through space trying to survive day to day and totally and it can be really hard in our current mod uh social structure to see that everything is driving us to be individualistic and separate and in competition with one another And, um, if we can strip some of that away in in some way, right. It doesn't have to be combat or natural disaster or anything like that. I think that running gives us an opportunity to be in a community where everybody is working toward the same thing. We we have a shared meaning and purpose and a shared struggle and a shared mission to accomplish these goals. And, and that can be really powerful. I, I was listening just this morning, um, to a, a new, to a new to me philosopher, John Aston, on the waking up app, and he was talking about uh, this idea of experience, and um, he was relating it to physics, where we we like break the universe down into atoms and particles and electrons and neutrons, and we talk about how all of these things work. But then he asked the question: If you peer beyond that, what is experience? And and what is if Fear conveys an emotional experience, but what is fear? If you go beyond the meaning of the words and the constructs that we've created to cla- categorize and classify things, what is it? And there are times where you can only grasp the meaning or the idea of something, even conceptually, by experiencing it. And it's those experiences. What his book is boiled down to are these experiences. And and being in that experience and sharing it with people gives you a window into something that you just can't understand without having been there and been a part of it. If that's a marathon or an ultra marathon or a natural disaster or combat, bam, there it is. It hits you in the fucking face like a blast of cold water or something, you know, and you're like, oh, shit, I like – this is the awakening we're talking about the opportunity to see that there's so much more than than what's on the surface of our everyday experience
0: because every experience that we have this big pick this this moment of i don't know awe wonder and cuz fear is in some sense kind of awe and wonder just twisted a little bit right but the experience will show us every i this is my view i might you might disagree but i i think it's my it's my experience this is true about experience right it highlights our relationality our relatedness to everything you yes. can't once you're in experience you cannot be separated from the weather yes. if you're in experience you feel the whatever climate you're in whatever climate controlled scenario you have right now in your car as you're listening to us or in on your run as you're listening to us you are in relation to weather you're in relation to gravity. You're in relation to your own breath. But what is breath? And your relation to every tree out there that's actually recycling our oxygen and making carbon dioxide, or the opposite, whichever way it is. I always forget. Um, and when you're running in communities, you see your relatedness. When you're looking, one of the things I was going to say is we, we kind of diss social media. So many of us, we're always talking about the problems of social media. But the reason why social media is got us in its grips is not just because they've created algorithms to suck us in. But it's because we're all related and we know we're related. And so we're drawn in because it's in our DNA to relate to each other. Mm -hmm. What's not in our DNA is to relate and then not engage, okay? Like to be outside of it, to creep, to just be a viewer. And then those people who are actually actively participating in whatever social media they have is a good thing, engage. Be related, related in every way you can. If somebody posts a workout that you see on Strava and you're excited about it, say give them a thumbs up or or engage with them in a way that relates to their experience, one way or another. And uh, it, and just as a just as a social nicety, maybe not reflect exactly on your own personal experience about it, but maybe engage with their experience and how that might create some kind of relationality some shared experience with you which is what happens in live communities we can't you and i are currently having a conversation we're we're communicating we're we but we don't know where it's going we're not sure what's happening just like you don't know what's going to be whether you're going to be able to hit the next rep or you're going to be able to or what it's going to actually feel like when it's 90 degrees and you know 90% 90% humidity and 85 degrees in the morning while you're running. These are the this is the relationality that we have, which blows out this myth of separation. We are not separated even on the most primal level, even at the level of actual experience. We're not. And if you want to engage in a more fruitful, meaningful, and effective way of being, tip, dip your toe into that relationality, that relationship. How you are in relationship, and it's not. We just we seem to focus on this relationality to purely this like human world. But there's a whole in the in my view, the universe is intelligent, and it is. In, it is in we are relating mm-hmm. to all of these things. You don't actually. Ha- you can hold a more materialist view that says I I don't see it as conscious, but you can at least you cannot deny its relationality. Um, if you will engage in a conscious experience of that, it will blow your mind. This is this experience I have like watching my six year old look out the window at this huge two hundred and fifty three hundred year old live oak tree. she's in a she's in relationship to that tree nearly every day. It is not for her some separate experience, some separate entity it's It's her friend, it's her relationality. And as adults, we need that awe and wonder we need it desperately. And those of us who are running, we're finding that we're experiencing that we're going through that we are just tap in, you're not separate from that. And what ways can you find that relationality, and it will absolutely change you. And when we think about what meaning what is meaningful, you know, as he talks about these experiences that these, the combat vets are coming back from, you know, he's like the actual stress and the PTSD of the, you know, of the trauma of the experience of the battle itself wasn't the primary trauma. The primary trauma is that they're trying to find a way to live that connected relational life in a society that says, no, you have to live 40 miles away and be in your big truck and not engage actively. And so they're like, well, this is completely the opposite of what my experience is in my heightened, most you most most valued experiences, Um you know those those stories he told about the Blitz in in London were incredibly interesting because they you know he basically says that Churchill's uh, Churchill's government was like we need to be very careful of these bomb shelters. People are going to they're going to do there's it's going to be all kinds of craziness. There's going to be law they're going to be law breaking. There's going to be mayhem. There's going to be all this stuff. Oh no! They just organize themselves effectively and helpfully. Why? Because they might die. And if we lived from that perspective, and this is what the Stoics tell us, right? Like walk with death, walk with death, and you cannot deny you are primarily an experiencer, and you cannot deny that you are basically interconnected. And this is where, as runners, we are voluntary sufferers. We are volunteers sitting down to the feast of suffering and gobbling it down. We are eating. It is a buffet. It's a smorgasbord and we're going for it. Right. Yeah. So recognize that in your running, that you are a part of this overall community and engage in every way that any and every way that feels resonant and valuable to you, whether it's through social media or live person. I just, I just wanted to bring in that aspect of the social media part is not, you know, we don't, it, there's a reason why it's tapping into something. And yeah. as long as you're engaging and not creeping, as long as you're a part of it and not out of it, you can probably use it to great effect. You can probably use it to help. But don't let it deny that what are you actually experiencing? And if you can bring that front, what's the experience? You'll usually find, oh, this is sour, this idea of separateness and oh this is juicy and delicious this idea of connection and relationality and relationship with other people and i think it's it was such a beautiful read from that perspective of him telling us how um how much we that there's really good reasons for why we are having the experiences that we're having and you know in a short little pithy little book that is really highly entertaining you probably can't find a better a better explication of the crucible of life and the dissatisfaction that we're finding. Um, yeah. So how does that resonate with you? Does does that bring up any other further ideas for you as you were, as, as I, as I talked about that?
1: Yeah, there's, you know, the, the, the relatedness connectedness for me is like summed up in one image and it's, um, so if you haven't seen Younger's documentary Restrepo, it's so good. And it's basically the entire documentary is is him with this one army unit in the Korngal Valley of Afghanistan living in a sandbag constructed bunker for six months trying to fend off death from the Taliban. And he talks about what it was like to sleep in a room where he could touch three people with his outstretched arm. And we go from that to living in a bedroom inside a house that's walled off from all the other houses by fences and shrubs and things like that. And and it that is the perfect image of going from the relatedness of a tribal experience to the separateness of modern society. And just just think about that. Um, and you know and and to give this analog to social media there is the part of social media as you're as you're calling out that that pulls on our evolutionary desire to be connected to and related to other people and then there is the insidious underbelly of it that is the comparison and the desire for for likes and validation and this, that, that element of it, I think it is trying to like fill a void of what it's like to be connected to and engaged with people, but it's a, it's a trap. It's a pitfall of it to be, to be careful of. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that um, this book is also f- for me, I would love for everybody to read it, to try to understand um, the experience of veterans, but but also to understand, um, more importantly, the structural elements of modern life that create that experience for veterans. And it's I want that to be the focus more than the individual experience of veterans. Um, And, um, I will say he's very right about how painful it is to hear people say, thank you for your service. Mm -hmm. Um, it's so empty of, of like sincerity and genuineness and meaning. (laughs) Um, and so, you know, really think more about how you could make decisions in your everyday life that, Promote more community and connectedness in modern society, and have a have a view on the implications of what you're doing f- for the broader society, and live every day in a way that tries to improve our situation, uh, rather than ignoring all of those decisions and their intended consequences, and thinking that you can just thank a veteran and um, absolve all your sins, <laughs> which is a terrible way to say it. Uh, but, but that's what that, a-
0: that, that, I think that that's kind of what's going on, though, that that the person saying that they wish you well, but they haven't gone to the depth of realizing that relationality that I live yeah. in this country, because really what it says is you put yourself at risk for this country. And this is a real challenge for a lot of people because they don't feel patriotic about their country. Um, And the reason they don't feel patriotic about their country is because they don't really because they're separated from it, because there's there's no there's no real experience of being in the land on the land and understanding the other the other sacrifices that have been made by generation after generation after generation or recognizing how wonderful it is to have the kinds of experiences we have, because there are people from all over the world trying to get here to have these experience, to have the opportunity to be Americans. Um, so thank you for sharing that, but I want to, it, this is, this is a little risky what I'm going to do here. Um, and I, like I probably, it. if I were worried about canceling, I'd be, I could easily get canceled <laughs> for this, not necessarily, cause I'm not gonna say anything about male men or women or anything like that, but it's more equating. I can get canceled by the veteran community. Right. But I, I, and I, and I say this because I think trauma is Even small traumas are felt like big traumas. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to relate my experience as a collegiate athlete, as a height, as a young boy, as an athlete, then as a collegiate, as a high school athlete, and then as a collegiate athlete, and then as a post-collegiate athlete to your, which is a very long window of time to your experience or the experience of others who have been in combat situations. Um, And I hope that you'll forgive me for any, stupidity that i basically exude here but i want to argue
1: because well, this so, is some so i ahead. think what you're doing is a totally fair thing Cool. and <laughs> that that generally speaking there is a there there is like a class or an ethos or or a lineage of warrior that does not have to be And should actually even be thought of as distinctly different from a modern combat veteran, precisely because it's so disconnected from everybody else's experience in society. And it used to be a shared thing that could be cut across society in different ways and different experiences and different roles. And it's now been compartmentalized and separated from and it's important i think for you to give it more connection and relatedness.
0: Yeah, and because we what are our sports? They're war games. And they why have sports gotten to be so popular? People are like why is ESPN going on because we're all watching yeah. war games. It's entertainment, but that's what it is and because we used to we used to actively participate and this is where runners are so different is this is what i love about the runners that i work with is they want to be warriors. But these people come in two categories, Jason. This is—I'm this is my argument, right? There's the category of warrior who has gone through battle after battle after battle, and they don't know how to live without it. And there's a category of warrior that has accepted, wants to be in that place, that sees it. When I was a little kid, I used to want to play. You know, we used to play cowboys and in Indies. I wanted yeah. to be a Green Beret or I wanted to be a Native mm-hmm. American. I wanted to live that life. I played little war games as a kid. Yeah. And I see that many of the athletes that I work with on a day to day basis are wannabe warriors. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Please don't hear wannabe as like, like I'm deriding it. No, I'm saying it's real. I, and I honor it. And it makes me just gives me goosebumps to think about. You want to do battle with yeah. yourself. You want to do battle with the elements. You want to do battle with the distance. You want to be a part of something bigger, which is the, what we're teasing out today. But yeah. there's another whole sub-genre of athletes that I work with that are former athletes, former who, are, who have serious battle scars, and I, myself included. I mean, I, w- I became an alcoholic after I stopped running competitively. Because I didn't know any other way to get the kind of juice I got out of that experience. Because modern society provides me zero opportunities. Any work-related thing I do is dis- is, is, is detached from what I who I am or who I want to be. As you were saying at the very beginning, we tell kids. Who do you want to be? What do you want to be? Not who are you and what would you like? Who? Do, what kind of person do you want to be? So I knew what a person wanted to be, what kind of person I wanted to be, because I cut my teeth as a young athlete going into battle after battle after battle. And those battles, in my opinion, are they were fucking real, Jason. I do not equate them to the battles that you were standing on where you were in harm's way. But my ego was in harm's way every single time. And every young athlete that I've met who was serious, who took it seriously, we're all traumatized by that because we don't have any other place because our sport became our initiation. And this is a huge aspect of what a warrior is. And one of the things I think we should be thinking about teasing out in any warrior, future warrior discussions is if you're going to be a warrior, we need initiations. Rites of passage. Yeah, correct. Rites of passages that allow us to say and running a marathon, training for a marathon is that, but we don't highlight it. And so we don't get the meat, the gist of it. But when I was in high school, it was all came down to whether or not I won that race to go to the next race. And if I didn't, I was destroyed and it got each level got bigger and bigger and all of the identity i had constructed over all that time frame was again under duress it was again i literally was saying to myself who will i be who am i like and because I because it's at such a young level, it was at such a young age, and people didn't really discuss it. It was like you're supposed to win, you're supposed to win. Well, losing wasn't an option, and there was no ability to see it as beautiful. There was no aspect that if, that if I came back from battle, and I had lost my life, lost my ego, that I was going to be encouraged. No, and any bad when you if you'd come back from enemy lines, and you had lost your life, you would be considered a hero, but we runner athletes don't have that. So I'll meet with athletes. And I'm not saying, again, I am not equating them. I'm just saying even smaller traumas are traumas. And I spent much of my, I mean, I spent a lot of time it took 10 years for me to then find another community and to become a coach where I basically became a general kind of started as a sergeant and then became a general, and then I had a whole bunch of people who I was basically guiding their experiences, and every single time I'd see them come up, this is why I was successful as a coach, because I totally took them at their word that they expected to be a warrior, and we called it athletes, but I think I probably should have called it war that they were warriors, that they were willing to go to battle with death. And it's an ego death. It's not a real death. But these are many, these are opportunities, yeah. you know, w- options. But I, when I meet people out there who are warriors, and I can think of three or four who were collegiate, one, one woman I'm working with right now is a collegiate soccer player, had a major traumatic injury in her collegiate soccer career. And then when she came, as she's trying to translate it to running, but she also has this, war injury from another war and she's trying to say i can't even have a real experience of this new experience i want to have because i'm dealing with this and i'm like no no no! you're getting it wrong this is what warriors do they continue to evolve their game they continue to stay in the arena they continue to get after it and this is what makes it beautiful because you're going to find a way because i'm calling on you i'm calling on her to be the warrior that's in her and she starts to just tear up because she's like no one saw me that way and i'm like Sister, I see you. Like, I see what you're really made of. Let's do this now from that perspective. But you're related. You're related to the ground. You're related to the other people. You're related to our community of training people. Engage, engage, engage. And then she finds herself occasionally, because she doesn't have a practice to go to. She's an online athlete, so she have a practice to go to. But I'm working on that constantly under the hood there, saying, but I also want to say for our wannabe athletes, the ones who want to be athletes, you need to realize that that's what we're talking about. Okay, there's a fine line between all the way the fuck in where you've got to go for it, where you have a risk. You take a serious, serious risk. But we need to balance that with, are you ready for that risk? Are you ready to go after it? And this is, some, this is going to be a theme of our warrior class, right? Which is do you know what you're yes. going in to go to do battle? Because those guys didn't when you were your generals and your your sergeants and your lieutenants and all your other, they did not send you into a battle without a battle plan, without an exit strategy, without everybody knowing what their particular job and their work was and all that stuff. And I see people going into little bitty battles and they got all their ego all up in there and they're wannabe warriors and they go out, they get destroyed and they come back and they just start it all over again. And I see their selfhood atrophy. I see their sovereignty. I see their power, their, their personal power just get robbed from them. And they eventually move away from it because it is ruthless. Our sport is ruthless. You're standing buck naked and all alone on a starting line. And it doesn't give two fucks about you. The course doesn't care about you. The top clock doesn't care about you. And actually, because most people who are doing this running, they don't even think that the people around them care about them. So their starting line experience is scary, scary, scary. So we have to prepare for that. So anyway, that kind of went off on a long... Diatribe, but I just wanted to bring that yeah. in because I think it's an important thing for people to consider that hey, this there are lots of pieces of parts of this idea of warriorhood or being a warrior that really everybody is actually participating in no matter what. And we're hoping to tease this out and give you some real strategies and to give you a framework and then some strategies to work through it.
1: Yeah, this is um a, a beautiful parallel. To to a couple of things, I'll highlight from Younger's book, and and so one of them that you're talking about rites of passage initiation that are are part of the development of our of our archetypes uh, mm. in a Jungian sense, right? As we transition from uh, you know boy psychology or girl psychology into man or woman psychology, right? These archetypes transcend from from the prince, the weakling prince to the king, or from the hero to the warrior. Um, I love
0: where you're going with this. I love
1: it. And so Young talks about, or Younger talks about the destruction of the ego through combat experiences, the humility that you experience from the rawness and the realness of what you go through, what you experience. <clears throat> and that happens in running too, right? You're, now, there are real life and death situations in combat, but there are plenty of successes and failures that don't get to the level of, of actual life and death that are all about the ego. And the the ego, you know, transcends these levels of the archetypes through those experiences and if you don't have something in your life right we are devoid in modern society of rituals and rites of passage and initiation and we don't have opportunities to challenge the ego and to crush it and to, to to expose it to raw humility and allow it to transcend to the next level and we also don't have guides to help us through those experiences even when we do have them. We don't have the elders or or, or the ritualistic framework to help us understand those experiences. and you get those uh, a little bit more in say, a combat experience, and you can have those right with the right coach and the right team and structure and framework that can happen through running. Yeah, it's so cool. And, yeah. And then the other thing uh, on the trauma point that you have, so young, younger looks at two kinds of trauma. There's acute and then there's a the long-term or chronic PTSD. Now, the acute PTSD is, you know, I get back to San Diego from my first Iraq deployment where indiscriminate shelling rained down on our base all the time and you never knew. If you're going to get blown the fuck up, you just listened for it and you ran for shelter and you hoped it wasn't close. And uh, there I am sleeping in my bed, third night home, and I wake up to myself rocketing out of bed and heading for shelter. And I just hear this loud concussion and I'm, it takes me a minute to realize I'm just in San Diego, California. And another minute to realize it's just a trash truck empty in the dumpster, (laughs) Mm. That's that acute PTSD. And it's part of our evolutionary experience, right? If you hear the sound of a lion, you fucking run for cover or whatever it might be, right? And those live with us for a little while. But as we realize that we're in a safe environment, those things, they go away. The chronic PTSD that he's talking about is that coming home to society and having no belonging, you've lost your meaning and your purpose. And your tribe, and your community, and those people that are with you working towards something—that's what drove you. That's what fed your soul in that experience, right? They, and you you lose all of that, and you feel like you're adrift. And and you search and search and search for the community, for your tribe, for your for your meaning, for something that you're working toward. And even when you find it, like for me, I thought. I'll go, I'll go do these things. And every time I did these things, I realized I was just a tiny little cog in a giant machine, not making any impact in the world, whether I was a public servant or I was working in corporate America for a social good, like transforming the way that we consume energy in this world. All of it still had no meaning. And, and that's, that's what you struggle with. That's what I struggled with. That's what you struggle with, right? You, you, you've lost that community that you were in and that mission and that purpose and that drive. And you find yourself wondering where will I find it now? And where will I find it in a society that is, that is void for the most part of things that you can do, where you find meaning, where, where you're not in some sort of military or paramilitary service or, or working as a firefighter, uh, you know, something like that. And so, that I think is real and that can be experienced, you know, that is not inherent or unique to combat, right? People experience that from natural disasters. They've experienced that from being civilians, right? He talks about the civilians who lived through the Bosnian war and they are like, yeah, (laughs) I wish At times, like they have nostalgia for war, for that experience, for all of the little things he talks about that came with that and that are gone when you return to modern society and everybody goes back to their individualistic experience on a day-to-day basis. And So it's completely irrelevant.
0: Aren't those conversations the same ones that happen at the campfire after your races? Like if people stay that night, they have a couple of beers and they just talk about all the things that went bad on that course and then they're going to get back Mm -hmm. in their vehicles, they're going to drive home and they're going to go do another week of... Inane work, but in that moment there, then those race, those race moments, we have them, they're super fancy and made really clean and in and out from a trail race, a a road racing experience. But the trail runners around uh, among us who know this, we know that that's a real, that's, that's the real feel. That's what happens with trail runners. They get really into it and it, because they've got that shared experience, but very rarely do they have that opportunity to linger at the campfire afterwards and talk through all of the things that happened.
1: Yeah, I wanted and, to and you come back. All experienced okay. the like post-race depression, sure. right? Like you've worked all the way up to this thing, and then it happens, and then afterwards it's all gone, and you're like, oh, "I'm back to my everyday." Because you didn't have anybody to share existence. it with. Yeah, and, and, and you didn't really
0: have anybody to share it with. But I want to come back to this idea this thread that you brought up about archetypes because I do think it's you know as we're nearing the end of this episode it might be a way to transition to the next but I had this crazy idea as you just as you were saying it that in the Greek pantheon they have their the Greeks had these gods that um were separated from the people right Hermes Zeus uh Ares um Eros they lived in this fictional land up in the sky or on this special high, high, high place where they, they, they fucked with the everyday people, but the everyday people really couldn't do anything about it. And fate was a part of all of that. But the way that they handled it, they started telling, especially once we get, um, to the place of, um, of Homer and then all of the other tales is they start telling stories about archetypes or heroes or archetypes that connect the everyday person with the gods. Right. And one of the things I was thinking about in in our culture of running culture, especially with the road racing culture, because it's there's such a divorce between the high end performers in our sport. And they're almost gods. They almost become gods. They become these externalized people that are very, very hard to relate to because they run 100 mile weeks so or they do all these crazy things. But we need the archetypes, the people around, the, the other people to bridge this gap between the everyday people and the gods that are out there, right, um, in a way that says and, – and and some of those runners can be archetypes, right? They can be, but they don't relate to us that way. So they become these gods, and what we need to do is we need to break them down. And I'm thinking about Courtney DeWalter because she is this person who refuses to be a god and absolutely demands, and, and and not in a, she doesn't, ab, when I say absolute demands, not by her words, but by her deeds and her actions, she says, I am an archetype. I don't want to be an archetype, but I will just be who I am. I'm going to be this person, just like Odysseus made all kinds of mistakes, just a, all kinds of crazy things that shouldn't have maybe, he, he's a flawed character. He doesn't always win. Courtney drops out of a race, but then she wins a race, but she lives in a heroic way. But the heroicism is later told, is a tale told later right? Yeah. But in this the This is the moment, difference
1: between commanding and demanding respect. I totally. About,
0: right? Yes, totally. And I that's why I think of Courtney DeWalter as so special because she is this archetype and she will be in the future. I mean, she is for every athlete that I work with because I'm always talking about the pain cave. Once I heard her episode with Rich Roll and she talked about her relationality to the pain cave and how that all worked out, which is probably something we'll cover in more detail in one of our warrior episodes, but it I heard it my jaw dropped and I said this is the fundamental challenge that every single warrior has because they know that the thing that's so special about it is the near death experience the being in the place that is so hard to deal with and they're always training and preparing to go to it but never get there and Courtney flips it and says she has a moment in this experience where she says the whole point Is the pain cave? That's an archetypal image for all of us to take with us because we will all have experiences where we're scared. Number one in all of our training, and our training is designed in such a way to not have this crucial command, this crucial experience, because they don't want to ever get to the place that it's actually the whole point. And every this is why I tell people all the time: the marathon always wins. So you are not going to beat it. You're never going to beat it. Just like a hundred miler. Do you have anybody who's ever finished a hundred miler that thought that they won? There, there's no doubt. And every marathoner that I've ever met, unless if they've run a good hard marathon, they did not win. They might have gotten their goal, they might have got their time, but they didn't like get on top of it and stomp on it and go like, i I'm, you're my plaything." No, that does yeah. not happen at that distance. It's just the <laughs> well, right mix the of physiology. Yeah, it's like the right mix of physiology and psychology, and you can't you can't mail it in. You can't just wait. And those who do mail it in, maybe they have that experience, but they just ran 26 miles. They didn't race a marathon, right? Yeah. So anyway, I I I am yeah. looking forward to bridging this gap, Jason, between how our athletes can see themselves as warriors and how we do that through archetypes, through, through a wide variety of different modalities that we have from these people who are doing it every day who are basically standing there. Many of them, some of them are, are precious and special, but let's talk about Ilya Kipchoge. We all hold him in this position of special, but he does not consider himself special. You think about Steve Prefontaine. His argument was, yeah, he he loved that he did things in a special way, but he never considered himself special. He was just like, I'm going to go out there and die. I'm going to die for the thing I want. And so we can resonate that. We can look at that. and And he did eventually die of you know, drinking and driving and, you know, it was a tragic situation. But now we have some, we have all of his stories that we can relate to and utilize and work with to help us be effective warriors because it's hard to figure out what to do. It's hard to figure out exactly how to approach it because here's the thing that is so hard about war. It's uncertain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's, it's, there's, you don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You have no idea what's going to happen. And what could happen is your worst case scenario and that's why I just lift up every athlete that wants to be in this category of warrior. But I'm also lifting up all those warriors who can find running as a new path to finding how to wrestle with that angel, to wrestle with their, their own inner demons. It's, that's what you and I have done it for. I mean, I'm in this phase right now, as we talked about the last time, where I'm afraid. I don't really want it. I don't really want it, but there's something in the back of my head. I can't, I cannot do it. We're going to, so I want to be, I want, I want us through this warrior series to lift people up and say, you're part of something bigger. Yes. It is bigger. It's not small. This is how we survive because you will be traumatized by life no matter what. And you might as well choose the table that you're going to sit at and that will make you more effective at any table that it ends up getting, you get thrown at. You have a car accident, you have a collapse, we have a financial hardship, you have a death in your family. Running will help you find a way to deal with the unknown, the unexpected, the uncertainty, and to stand in it in a way that says, I'm honorable, I'm capable, I'm um, good. Because I know that I can just keep showing up. And hopefully what we can do is bring these threads in to give some kind of really resilient and inspiring vision of what running can be. Because right now, it's kind of weak sauce. People aren't, I would argue that most people are not meeting it at the mythological level. They're not yeah. meeting it at the deepest place of meaning. They're just rolling through. They're not recognizing seasonality. They're not recognizing struggle. They're not reasonably realizing how you go up and you go down. They're just tracking things on a progress-related schedule that just says, I'm going to start here, and I'm going to end there, and it's all going to work. No, the beautiful part is in the lift and the dip, and yeah. the lift and the dip. But you have to have a bigger picture. You have to have a map that allows for that. So we'll be creating, we'll be showing yes. you that there is a there is a warrior map here and we can help you see it. It's really, it's all right there. We're not telling anybody anything new, Jason. We're not, we're not, re, we're just bringing this bigger picture right. to the big, to the big, to a stage and hopefully people can engage with. And I think if they can get, go, they get to go down this road with us a little ways, I think they're going to be, they're running is gonna. They're gonna next level their running experience and next level every run, next level every struggle, every injury period, everything It's gonna be a part of a bigger picture.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think I would say <clears throat> what we what we want to embark on here is similar to boot camp for for somebody entering the military. Right, we are going to try. So a big part of what happens is cultural indoctrination. You get. You get to learn the culture, you get to learn the ethos of that culture, the core values of that culture, and you get to know the legends and the heroes of that culture that embody it, that become the examples that you look to when you're wondering how it all plays out in your individual actions to be part of, to enshrine, and to bolster and honor that community and its ethos and its culture and its values. And so, you know, the things, the two of the things I think that you're really playing with here that are going to be important for us to lay out are that warrior ethos, right? That ethical framework that includes the core values and the cultural mores and standards of conduct, right? So that it becomes clearer for you what the expectations for you are and it helps you understand. That, that red line you don't cross when you think, oh, it's okay, I could just do one less rep or quit or whatever. Now, there are times when you should listen to your body in, in a running context, but you're making a very conscious decision that for good reason, you're going to compromise on these standards and values. And the second one is, is to stand up those legends and those heroes and to look into What it is about them and their practices and the things they do that are so important is at the end of the day, culture, you culture is what you do. It's your actions. Right. That's not what you say or anything like that. So you're not if you're not doing the thing, if you're not walking the line, you are not part. You are standing apart from. And that is that is more important than you might think that puts you on the outside through your personal choices and actions Absolutely. and it is not consistent with supporting the forward progress of the community
0: yes you're, you're you are definitely hitting on something that i think is crucial and i think this kind of is a good place to stop because it sort of ties yep. this whole thing up in a really amazing way and um yeah we covered a lot of ground and uh, i think we've you know i think we've done do service to a great book in tribe and recommend anybody read or listen to it. And I think we've set the stage for some really fun experiences, which you and I had made the, and when I first started, when I first contacted you, I was like, this be ready for this. It might, if we can stay the ground, we might actually get into some really cool stuff. And I think we've done some really interesting and fun episodes, but I think what we're getting ready to embark on is more along the lines of what we're most, both most interested in which is yes, conversations, but more, what do we, let's give you some really practical tips, some really practical, let's give a big picture of frame so you can actually operate with something and then give you an idea about what's expected or how it's supposed to work and how it does, and then give you those first few steps that start to allow you to take some risks and take some chances. And then what you can do is just wash it through that experience lens and recognize over and over and over again through each of these experiences, whether they're training experiences, whether they're an individual rep in training or a final race day scenario where you were going for a command performance, you'll be able to pull it back in to start all over again in this cyclical ongoing process of what it means to be a warrior. And that's a part of the, the, you know, the experience of warriorship or being a warrior that isn't always addressed because usually what you see are these little snapshots of warrior experiences. But one of the themes you and I are gonna be talking about is yeah, there's all these snapshots, these 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 stories of heroism, of tragedy, of all kinds of things. But what's most important here, especially with the the warriors who are most interesting to me, like a guy like Socrates, is Socrates just took his war experience and all the things he thought about his war experience and pushed it through the channel of this new experience of being a culture and a community and a polis, right? This idea of a city-state, and this is is how we're going to be? Well, who are you to be in this place? right? And so finding these warriors that we can bring in from all kinds of different places, not just running, but other parts of the world to say, hey, what?" as you stated, what is our culture and how are we contributing to it? And that was Socrates' main questions. What is this culture we're building and how are you relating to it and how are you responsible for it? And that's what we're saying is, hey, running is a culture and you and I, we're standing here saying we're doing to do our part. I'm going to do, I'm going to do my part. And I know you're going to do your part and we're going to do our listeners. Are you guys going to do your part? And I think if you, even if you, here's the thing, if you just listen, you will have no choice. I think that's what part of what Socrates genius was, was he just kept asking questions that people had to answer. You know, if you listen to his, his method, the way he asked questions, you couldn't not answer because they totally messed with what your foundational structure was. And they highlighted, and all he asked you to do was really, he didn't ask you to come up with an answer. He asked you to live deeply and answer and test it through the lived experience. And I think that if we can do anything close to that with this series on warrior and the warrior class, warrior ethos, I think we'll be cooking with grease. I think it'll be really beautiful. Indeed. Well, thanks, guys, well, thanks for, for listening. A fun episode, yeah. Yeah, thank, and thanks for listening, guys. We will... Um, if you have any comments or questions, send me an email, sisson at run com. And uh, we're thankful that you continue to go on down this road, whether you find us today or tomorrow, or you find us in a year or a year and a half. Um, we think that these conversations and these, um, and these concepts that we'll be unpacking, I think we'll find um, hopefully resonance with you. I've, the feedback I've been getting from the people that are listening is that they're enjoying them and they're finding them incredibly valuable. And maybe thinking at first, well, it was just two guys talking and then eventually they're like, whoa, they went pretty deep there. So um, if you're still on this ride with us, thanks. And those of you who are on it just to start, get ready, buckle up. We've got some warrior class to bring forward. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk soon.